gives me breath, he gives me life, and you know, we think about the big picture of things, but he cares about the details of your life. You know, every once in a while in your life you end up with a friend who just cares about those little things, and you know, ones who call you on your birthdays, you know, they write you little notes when they're thinking about you and stuff like that, and God is that type of relative, God is that type of friend to us, he cares about the little things, whatever it is you're going through, he wants to be there with you. Whew. The humidity's got me sweating up a storm this morning. Hallelujah. We need to crank up the air conditioning. You know, every, every day or when we come in for services on Sunday, I try to crank it down as low as possible because once you guys get in here, it goes up like eight degrees. And so if we don't start from a place of frigidness, you guys get to see me drench. <laughs> Oh, Father, we just thank you for your presence in this place. We just are so glad that we've taken the time just to come and be with you. We, we know we can do that in our homes. We can do that from wherever. But we come together as a corporate body, as your church, your, your uh, ambassadors on this earth. We come to unite our hearts together to listen from your word and listen to your Holy Spirit and just to take and set aside time. And we know that you honor those moments when we stop just for you. And so right now, we just thank you that we don't have to beg you to come. You were already here when we got here because you brought us, we brought you with us. There's nowhere that we go where you're not. And so we thank you for your word and we honor it right now as we're about to open it. We thank you that our eyes will be open, wisdom will flow, revelation will be available to us. We thank you for the peace that flows from your word. The peace, Father. Your peace. We don't have to put up with anxiety and fear we thank you for your peace that flows out from your presence and your word in jesus name amen, amen. well we have been working on a series now this is week number three called simple things and we're keeping this series as simple as possible because the simple things are really the important things you know, even the world knows this. Though we get ourselves so busy, and everyone does it, Christians and non-Christians alike, but there's been those of us who stop and think, and we realize that the, the little things are really the big things, the important things. And so even people in the world have picked up on this topic that we're talking about. Like Confucius said, life is really simple, but we insist on making it complicated. So someone who doesn't even know God realizes that the sim there's the simple things are the important things. You Maybe you in, in, when you were in school or in your work life, you've come across the acronym for KISS, which is keep it simple, silly, or the other one that you may have known that I won't say with my kids around because then they'll have to be saying, Daddy, you said a bad word. But we recognize that when we try to make things complicated, we often derail ourselves. And it's the simple things, the easy things, the little things that are important. And when we major on the things that aren't important, we find ourselves before whole, uh, mountains that we can't get over or valleys that we can't cross through. But when we keep things simple, we walk the route with God. Amen. And there's nowhere that he will lead you and walk with you that you can't come through. It doesn't matter what it looks like in the natural. When we walk simply and humbly before God, we end up coming through things that in the natural we never would have been able to get through. 
And so this isn't new wisdom. Solomon said it 4,000 years ago, saying it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. And last week I read that verse to you out of the Passion Translation, and I really like that translation for this. It says, you must catch the troubling foxes, those sly little foxes that hinder our relationships. So now if we just think about that for a second, um, uh, Solomon is speaking metaphorically about the relationship between God and his, his spouse, the church, and speaking about the relationship that they had. And he says, it's the little things that spoil or hinder our relationship. And we said last week that God will never put anything in between you and him. He will never put up any walls to keep you away, but that doesn't mean that we can't do those things, that we can't put up boundaries that keep us from coming boldly before the throne of grace. It doesn't mean that we can't put obstacles in the way. And so we want to keep all of those obstacles out of the way between our relationship, between us and him. And you know, this even works in a natural sense. You know, it's the little things that spoil your marriage. It's the little things that rob you from joy in your marriage. No one getting a divorce ever focuses on the little things. They think about the big explosions. Well, where did those big explosions start? They came from little animosities, little slights that you didn't deal with. You didn't do the dishes right. You didn't put them away right. You didn't clean right. You didn't watch the kids enough. You know, whatever it may be, those little things, the enemy likes to use them as a wedge to separate your relationship in your marriage or your relationships with your friends or with your children. How many people do you know that have spoiled relationships with their children? That they would love to be closer with them, but things have driven them apart. It's the little things that grow into the big things which keep us separated from God and his intention was never separation. And so he says that so sly little foxes that hinder our relationship, they raid our budding vineyard of love to ruin what I've planted within you. Will you catch them and remove them for me? And I like how he says, will you? He doesn't say you have to. He didn't say do it. He said, will you? Options. Choice. God never forces you to do anything, but there are things that he suggests that would be to our benefit. And so in one of these things, he's saying, will you help remove these little stumbling blocks, these little things that we put between us and him? And then he says, we will do it together because you're never alone. And so the last three weeks, this is week number three on this series, our anchor story has been that of Daniel chapter 3, with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All of the nation of Babylon is pulled before King Nebuchadnezzar. He builds up his, his statue 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, gold-plated, and says, everyone come and worship, basically saying, worship me. And we know that the, the children of Israel, the three Hebrew children, would not bow before it. And they get called out before King Nebuchadnezzar. They come up before him and they say, they won't bow. Did you not say that everyone had to? And Nebuchadnezzar gets annoyed about this because he's vain like that. He wants everyone to comply to his ultimate rule. And he says, I'm going to give you one more chance. Bow your knee. Worship when the sound happens. Because who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Who is the God that will deliver you from my hands?
And so that's the question we've been dealing with for the last, this is week number three. Who is your God? And you can think about that, well, that's just so simple, and that's why we're talking about the simple things. Because this thing is the most important, simple thing that we need to be remindful of every moment, every day. No matter what it is that we walk ourselves into or find ourselves falling into, we need to remember, who is your God? Because when you answer that question for yourself, there is nothing that you can't come through. If it's a mountain of lack, we know that our God is a provider. If it's a mountain of sickness, we know that our God is a healer. If it's a mountain of anything, whatever it is, He is. But if you're not in touch with and having a relationship, an active working relationship, you will forget those things. And that's why it's important to always have at the forefront of our thoughts and everything that we do. Who is my God? Because as John said, if God be for you, who can be against you? So who is your God? He's the one that everything in our life should be anchored around. And if we're finding ourselves feeling overwhelmed, we've let go of our anchor. Because who is your God? He's the God who always comes through. He's the God who never gives up. He's the one that will bring you through when all options have been failed out. He's still got a million more to go through. So who is your God? Now, when Nebuchadnezzar asked that question to the children of Israel, he didn't know the answer and he didn't care. But they knew the answer and that's the only important one. They better know. You better know. Who is your God? And so last week, we really said that there's three levels of knowing. Three levels of knowing. And in different relationships in our lives and different Uh, categories and subjects in our lives, we operate at different levels of knowing within them. The first level, if we're talking about knowing God, is to know of God, meaning you know his name. And I think 99% of the world could probably uh, fall into this category now. If you ask them if they've heard of Jesus, we don't know what they've heard, but if you ask if they've heard the name, most people in this world will be able to say yes. That's a simple level of knowing. You know the name. And as Christians, we better know more than his name. The second level, which takes us, has has a wider range within it, is to know about God know facts or know some details about that about him and so there's a lot of people who know cursory facts about God or about Jesus but it does them no benefit they've just known some abstract details about him most people would be able to tell you that Jesus died on the cross but you know there's more that you need to know about that he didn't just die he went to the grave And when he died, he took your sin and shame with him. And he killed it in the grave. And then when he went there, he went down into hell and he whipped the devil's butt. And he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And then he rose up victorious. And it says that you were crucified with him in Christ Jesus. And that he killed you, the old man's dead. And the life you now live, you live by the faith in the Son of God. And you rose up victorious with him. And that he was raised up and he was seated on the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. That in the ages to shot come, he might be able to show you the riches of his grace. And then not only that, he said he raised you up to sit together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so you can have... Some basic facts about God, but not walk all the way 
to having a relationship and having an active discourse back and forth between you or God. And then so obviously stage three of knowing is what we call knowing God or having an active relationship, understanding his nature, understanding his character, understanding his attributes and why he does what he does and what he's actually yearning and longing to do for you and what he has done for you. So it takes it beyond just simply knowing who he is, takes it beyond simply knowing some facts about him and it takes it all the way down into relationships, something that is active, something that we live out of on a daily basis. And I believe that with knowing God, it has four parts. There is, come on, follow, let's go computer. There's knowledge. You had those facts about God, but it also, those facts draw you to pursue him. And as you pursue him, you begin to experience him. And as you begin to experience him, you can't help but trust him. And if our trust levels are low, we need to up our pursuit and our experience. Because you can't trust in what you don't know. And I think a good example for us, last week we used the abstract example of John Smith, North of Seven, how three different people can have three different sets of information. And, but I think a more biblical, practical one that I'd like to do this morning is that of the Apostle Paul. Now the story of Paul starts out at the murder of Stephen. And where do we find Paul? He's named Saul at that point. He's consenting unto Stephen's death and he's watching the coats of those who are throwing the stones. And so here we find this young man at this point, Saul, Paul, however you want to call him. We'll keep call him Paul just to keep things straight. Does he know God's name? Paul called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day of the right tribe, having the right education, sitting under the right teachers, but yet here he is holding the coats of those who are murdering one of God's beloved children. Paul knew God's name. Did Paul know some facts about God? Yeah. Of course. He trained under the seat of Gamaliel. He would have known all of the Old Testament stories by heart. He would have had the first five books of the Bible memorized. But having stage one and stage two of knowing something can often leave it out of context. And relationship rewires everything and makes it straight. You can know some basic facts about God, but have those facts out of order. And many Christians, unfortunately, fall into this category where they've heard things about God, but then they turn around and say, God is such a mean God, just waiting to test us, waiting to punish us. He's trying to figure out how, if our character is going to stand. You know, he's just wanting to know what you're made of. He knows what you're made of. He doesn't need to test you to find that out. He's the one that made you. He gave you your character. He gave you your attributes. He doesn't need to test you to find out what you're made of. He already knows. He knows better than you do. And so having basic facts and details without relationship, without pursuit, without experience, and without trust often leaves our view of God out of context. 
And unfortunately, most people's view and understanding of God has less to do with the real character and nature of God and more to that of the ancient gods of the Greeks. You know, how many times, I'll use a personal example for me, I've invited people to church, and I've heard this more than once, if I go to church, when I walk through those doors, God will strike me down with a lightning bolt. Well, they're not talking about God. That's more likely you're going to get that from Zeus, the god of lightning. And they, they focus on what God's character is based upon what they've experienced and an amalgamation of what everyone else has experienced and relayed to them. And that's where we get an Old Testament view of God. Many people are living out of the Old Testament. A do good, get good, do bad, get bad God. But when you get to know and experience and understand God through a New Testament lens and through a Holy Spirit relationship, you can't get that mean God view. And so we need to let who God actually is form our thoughts about God versus what we have heard from others. And sometimes that forces us to kill the religious idea we have of God on the altar of what the Bible actually is. There's things that we've grown up knowing that when we look at it through the lens of the word, we may have to let go of. But it's important that we do. And so Paul knew some things about God, and he knew God's name, but it still led him to consent to Stephen's death. It led him to drag Christians to jail. It led him to push for them to be executed. It led for him to not even take, just stay in Jerusalem. He wanted to take the show on the road. And so he went to the chief priest, and he got letters to be able to go and do it in Damascus. But on the road to Damascus, Paul had an experience. It went beyond just his knowledge of the facts that he knew about God. It went beyond just knowing God's name because when God called out to him, he, Paul said, Who art thou, Lord? He knew his name. And he said to Paul, 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 why is it you're kicking against me? Why are you working against me? And Paul's life was radically changed because he experienced God. And the change that we see from the early book of Acts to later in and the epistles, Paul was radically changed. Not because he knew something about God, because he actually knew God. And there's a difference. And so I want to go over to Philippians chapter 3. We read verse 10 last week, but I want to start a little bit further back this week. And in Philippians chapter 3, Verse 1 through 7, Paul again, he recounts how, his, his upbringing, how I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, I was a Pharisee, according to the law, I was one of the best that there could be, but he says his pedigree, he says everything that would qualify him, and then gets to verse 7 and says this, but what things were gained to me, I've now counted loss for Christ. And when we examine anything in our lives, we have to be willing to say, I would rather see it burn in the fire so that I can know God more. And he said, yet, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. The word he's using there for knowledge isn't the word for basic knowledge. It's for experiential knowledge. I counted everything else loss so that I could actually know 
God and know about him. And he says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and not that he, would, he would, wasn't remorseful that he lost them, he says, I count them as rubbish, as belonging on the garbage pile, that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness. Paul knew how to establish his own righteousness. It was the law. You want to know how to find yourself in righteousness? Pursue Jesus. It's a free gift. And so Paul knew how to get there on his own, but realized he could never get there. He knew the path and understood that as one he couldn't walk. And he says he, he's not having his own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And then he says this in verse 10, which is more and more becoming my own pursuit. I preached out of this a lot in the last five years, but it's so important. Paul says, that I may know him, that I may experience him, that I may have relationship and fellowship and time spent at the throne of God, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. What does he mean by being conformed to his death? You have to understand, I am dead, and the life that I now live, I live in Christ. You have to let the old man die. You have to let the old thoughts die. As Paul said it, make it a living sacrifice. Why is it a living sacrifice? It wants to get up off the altar and walk away. And it sometimes requires us daily, almost multiple times a day. No, shut up, flesh. Get back on the altar and die. I'd rather walk God's way. And he says, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And I've always loved how the Amplified ver Version says those verses. In verse 10, it says, for my, everyone say this next word with me, determined purpose. This isn't just something that Paul was casual about. This is something he was pursuing, which is part of knowing God. There's a desire to pursue and so he said, my determined purpose, I'm choosing this course, not being forced into it, I'm choosing this course, that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. What he's talking about is as time goes on, relationships deepen. Anyone who's been married for a long time knows that your wife can finish your sentences most of the time. She knows how you're thinking, and you get started on the way, and she's already started doing what you're about to talk about because she knows you well enough to know what you're going to say next. That flows out of experience in a relationship. And so Paul says that he wants to progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing, understanding the wonders of his person, more strongly and more clearly. Meaning, the clarity of which you see today, it should be more clear tomorrow as we begin to progressively know him more and more. Now, spiritually, your spirit has been made one with God. There's no difference. You can't tell the difference between him and you. He's absorbed you into himself, and you have now been united together with God in Christ Jesus. 
but from an, a, an experiential standpoint and an understanding and a knowledge standpoint, there's a lot that we can know. And we're going to get to heaven and realize, oh my goodness, there was so much that I missed. Because there's such depths to him. We're, there's going to be a shock. The greatest teacher on this earth, whoever they may be, they're going to have a shock at the depths of God. Because even as we study his natural, natural creations of this universe, they're constantly discovering new things from a natural standpoint. How much more on a spiritual standpoint? From his native realm. And that I may in the same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection. So as we become more intimately acquainted with him and knowing more and more about him, you begin to understand the power that's actually flowing your direction. So many of us, of us as Christians are trying we have a, a feeling like, God, I need you to look this way and pour out a little bit of your power. You know the song, more love, more power, more of you. That's not true. His power is already flowing out from you, from the resurrection. All the power that will ever be needed hit the grave and raised Jesus from the dead. And that power didn't leave Jesus. It's still in him and you're in him. And so the more we understand his character, his nature, and who he is, the more we understand that's flowing to us. And when it flows to you, it flows through you. Because it's not just about us. It's not a bless me club. Christians were put on this earth for a purpose, for a reason, to reach those around us with the power and the love of God. So he wants to know in the same way the power outflowing from his resurrection and that which it exerts over believers. Maybe you should let it be exerted over you instead of searching for it. Let, it let you come to a realization that it's already pouring over to you in the fullness right now at this moment. And that I may also share in his sufferings to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness even to the, his death in the hope, and we'll get to the next, in the, in the hope he's talking about. It's okay when we talk about suffering. God is not the one causing you to walk into it. Most of the time, it's our own bad choices. You know, when people say, you know, there's a reason for everything. Everything happens for a reason. Sometimes that reason is we make poor choices and we walk into stupid things. And so there'll be suffering that we will go through in, but he always walks us out of it. And he brings us through. And then there's also the suffering of, the, of um, looking at it from, there's going to be people that are going to persecute you just because of what you believe. And that's okay. They persecuted Jesus. They persecuted Paul. You're in good company. And if you're looking for an easy way to walk, maybe Christianity is not for you. Because there are people going to hate you just because of who you are. Let your love and your light shine anyways. And so he says all that, and in the last three words it says, in the hope that if possible, I might attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead, even while in 
the body. Paul was not talking about an ideal that you'll achieve when you get to heaven. He's talking about being lifted out of the natural and operating supernaturally while you're still living here on this earth. Even while in the body. We're not waiting for the sweet by and by. We're not waiting for when the sweet chariot swings low and takes us home. We're living now out of heaven. Heaven is in you because Jesus is in you. You've been raised up and made to sit together with him in heavenly places. Therefore, you are physically seated there spiritually. And then Paul, at this point, he knows some things. He's experienced some things because of the things he's pursued. He says in verse 12, not that I have now attained this ideal or have already been made perfect. Now that word perfect means carried through to completion, meaning he wasn't done and you'll never be done. On this earth, you'll keep pursuing. But I press on. Some people get get distracted about where they are today and get discouraged Press on, because tomorrow you'll look at it through new eyes. And a week from now, you'll look at it again through new eyes. Press on, and lay hold of, grasp, and make my own that for which Christ Jesus, the Messiah, has already laid hold of me and made me his own. Hallelujah. We realize that when we chase after him, when we pursue him, we find him because he's already pursuing you and has laid hold of you. Now, let's switch back to the New King James Version. In verse 13, it says, Brethren, or brothers, family, I do not count myself to have apprehended But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Don't let your present steal your future. Don't let your past lock you in today. Let go and move forward. Sometimes we can get in like, well, I I just don't see as I want to see or I'm I'm not laying hands on the sick and seeing them all recover. Let go of the past and press on ahead. He says in verse 14, he says, I press towards the goal for the prize, for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so through these verses that we see here in Philippians chapter 3, we see the very thing that we're talking about, knowing God. Paul had knowledge of God, but he still pursued God. And through his pursuit of God, he experienced God. And because he has experienced him, he began to trust God, even to the point that he walked to his death knowing where he was going. In the beginning, when he had that experience on the road to Damascus, he finds himself in the city, and Ananias comes to him. God sends Ananias, and he says, Go tell Paul the things he must suffer for my sake. Fast forward years down the road. Paul decides, I'm going up to Jerusalem, knowing that the people who will not like him are in Jerusalem. 
And on his way there, he stops at Philip the Evangelist's house. And Agabus the prophet comes down and he takes Paul's belt and he binds his own hands and he says, so will happen to the man who owns this belt when he gets to Jerusalem. Paul wasn't surprised he was about to get arrested, but he was walking the path anyways because God said, I'm going to take you before great men. I'm going to take you before the leaders of what's going on in, this, in the, the empire of Rome. And it took him before King Festus, took him before King Agrippa. He ended up all the way before Caesar and got to preach the gospel to the highest realm in all of the earth at that time. Paul walked and pursued and experienced and trusted God even unto death. But in verse 15 it says, therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. I love that. Paul just gives a little bit of sass there. He's like, if you don't agree with me, you just don't know good enough yet. God will reveal it to you. <laughs> Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained and what we do already know, and what we already have experienced because of our pursuit and the trust that we have now, let us walk by the same rule. Live out of what you know today while pursuing more of God. And let us be of the same mind. I like that he said in both those verses, in verse 15 and 16, have this mind. Don't think otherwise. Let us be of the same mind. It's not your heart and it's not your spirit that are going to derail you. It's the thoughts and the noodle between your ears. How you think and how you perceive things other than being interpreted through the word of God will derail you from this pursuit. So Paul says, let's be of the same mind. Let go of the other thoughts that would say, well, I don't know about this, Pastor Jordan. I don't want to go that route. Let go of those things. And I think the question that we really need to ask ourselves, as children of God, those in pursuit of Him in all ways, is in what ways have I made room for this today? Now, obviously, preaching this on a Sunday morning here on August 23rd, what ways have you made room? You came. You showed up. Lots of other people didn't. But you are here. You've made room for this today. How do you make room for knowing more, pursuing more, and experiencing God? Because most Christians, outside of Sunday morning, the answer is we don't. But we can. He is never shutting up His doors. Every moment you choose to stop and say, God, I'm just, I'm just going to stop and listen to you for a moment. I'm going to open my word and speak to me, Holy Spirit. I'm going to let my request be made known unto you with thanksgiving. God, I know you're going to speak here with me. In what ways have you made room for this today, this week, this month, this year, this life? Because in the way you make room for him is the way that he shows up for you. When you take the time, he comes to fill it. If we don't have the time, he has nothing to fill. Now this isn't a Sunday morning message, this is a Christian life message. In the space you make for him, he will occupy it. You want more? Make more time. Make more space. Make more room in your thoughts. Make more room in your lifestyle. And you'll begin to experience more as you pursue more. Amen. So last week we started talking about like, what are the paramount things that we need to know about God? 
What are the most important things? And obviously we said last week, love. There's nowhere else to start and end. Love. God is love. And in everything that he thinks about you, it's love that exudes out from you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that love is his motivating factor in everything that he does. He never runs out because he doesn't have love. He is love. And so love is always the foundation of where we start and where we end in what we know of God. And last week we were reading out of 1 John chapter 4 and in verse 17 it says, love has been perfected or carried through to completion. Now Paul in his understanding of God says, I have not been perfected yet. I'm still on the journey. But when it comes to God and his love, it has completed the journey. It is done. It's ever being poured out onto you. Every day there are oceans of love and grace being poured out on you. Stop and just receive his love it never ends never runs out and whatever all the other things that Corey Asbury says in reckless love (laughs) love has has been perfected past tense among us in that we may have boldness in the day of judgment and we told you that word judgment is not about God judging or the end times judgment it's the word crisis which means our moments of crisis You can have boldness in your little blips along the way because love has been perfected and is present among you right now. And because as he is, so are we in this world. Right now, you don't need to change anything other than your mind because spiritually, as he is, so are you now. Not as you're going to be that way. It says as he is, currently, seated at the right hand of the Father. That's how you are, because you're sitting with Him. And in verse 18, he says, and there is no fear in love, because perfect love casts out that fear. Fear can't stand in the presence of the love of Almighty God. It can't stand, because fear involves torment, and God doesn't know how to torment you. He has no desire for that to happen. When love comes on the scene, fear should be leaving. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love or hasn't walked the journey of pursuing and experiencing all that he is, learning to trust him. When we know him, we trust him, and then how can you fail? Love is present. What else do we need to know about who he is? God desires relationship. A lot of Christians struggle with this. Does God really love me that way? Does God really want to be with me? Because they're looking at themselves through the lens of their failures rather than through the lens of God's victories. God desires relationship. It's not something you have to twist his arm into, right, Ace? We don't have to go, hey, God, will you be my friend? Will you love me? Will you be my God, my friend? Hey, hey, hey. (laughs) God desires relationship, and we see this reflected even at the moment of creation. He makes Adam and Eve, and then he comes down and walks and talks with them. And even after the fall of man, Cain murders his brother, and God still comes down and says, Hey, Cain, where's your brother? So maybe he's less concerned with your failures and shortcomings and more concerned with his own character and his own nature, and he desires to be with you. Jeremiah 29 11, the famous verse that everyone probably can quote, says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And we love that verse, but the next one says, Then you will call upon me. 
Or you made space to talk to me is a better way we could say it in context of what we're talking. You took time and you stopped and you talked to me and you prayed to me and I will listen to you. He didn't say if I have the time, if I'm feeling in the right mood that day. No, he said if you stop to talk, I'll stop to listen because he wants relationship. He desires connection. Communion and fellowship are the words that flow out from him. He desires to be in relationship and contact with you in every moment. And the next verse says, and you will seek me and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. Meaning, stop looking with your head and start looking with your heart. Living out of who you are in Christ Jesus, who you've been made to be spiritually. You seek me and you find me. Why? Because he's not hard to find because he wants you to be with him. As Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and you'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened. Why? Because he wants to be found. He wants to be talked to and he wants relationship with you. He wants you to know him more. So the things we're talking about today are not unattainable. It's what God desires right now in this moment. It's the motivation of his heart. I want to be with my kids. I want to be with my kids. I want to be with my kids. And as a natural father, I can understand that. I love spending time with my kids. I get home from work and the first thing I do is I find them, I hug them, I squeeze them, I tickle them, and I shake them upside down and I get them all stirred up and Robin's like, great, I just got them settled down again and now you've got them stirred up. No, I want to be with them. And so you'll seek me and you'll find me when you search with your heart and not your head. When you stop analyzing it through everything you know and start analyzing it through everything he is. Jeremiah 29, 14 says, I will be found by you. The only prerequisite is look. One more point. You got one more point about we should know about God this morning? You got room for one more? God loves a good deliverance. If you look at the Bible, all of the crazy stories in there, he comes through. He loves to take a broken situation and mend it. He likes to take a broken person and put them back together because there is nothing that he doesn't know how to fix. He loves a good deliverance. He loves to show up right at the right moment when you've given up all other options and said, God, I know I can't do it. Do something. (laughs) Then he says, finally, you got the end of your rope. You should have let go of the rope sooner. And why? Because it's part of his nature and it's part of who he is. You know that when the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to have a kid, the angel said, call his name Jesus. Why? Because Jesus means Jehovah saves or Jehovah is salvation. He's in the saving business. And we like to take salvation and we bring it down to, I'll go to heaven one day. And he wants to save you in your in little things. He cares about your little details. He wants to be the savior of every area of your life. And so in Daniel chapter 3, the three Hebrew children are before King Nebuchadnezzar and he's saying, I'm sending you to your death. Rope, gone. You know what they said to him? The God whom we serve is able to deliver us. And he will deliver us. They had enough trust to say, I know my God is able, and also I know that he will. 
which means there was experience and there was trust because you can't trust in what you don't know, but you know him. John chapter 14 says, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. The world doesn't know him, but you know him. You know him. Guys, pursuit, experience, and trust, it's easy. He's just waiting to go, here I am. It's the worst hide-and-seek player ever. <laughs> and so we're talking about the simple things. And it's taken us three weeks to talk about the simplest thing of all. Who is your God? Let's make it a little better. Who's your daddy? Because that's who he is. He's the father. And Jesus said, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And then he said, father, make them one with me as I'm one with you and we'll all be one together. Who's your daddy? If you approach the situations of your life from that, you'll see God. You'll experience God. You'll trust God. And you'll walk a new journey every day. Why don't you stand up on your feet with me today? Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for that you are found right here in the midst of us. You said that where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of us. And so we just say thank you. We don't have to search anymore. Here you are. And we've experienced just an aspect of who you are today through your word. And Holy Spirit, we ask you, root that and ground that in us. Help us to practice this in our daily walk, our moment-by-moment -moment walk. We thank you that we can experience more and more as we just open our hearts and get our minds out of the way that I can experience you. And I know who you are, Daddy God. And so we just choose to say thank you this morning. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Robin.